What time did you wake up this morning, Dina? I woke up at 4.30 Central. <laughs> it was around 4.15 a.m. for me, Eastern. And I think the time to stop eating here this morning was 4.50. So Ooh. just enough time to scarf down some food. My husband <laughs> made blueberry pancakes and we had some scrambled eggs and the house still smells like blueberry pancakes. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm Malika Bilal and this is The Take. Ramadan is the ninth month of the Islamic lunar calendar, and it's celebrated as the month the Qur'an was revealed. During this time, Muslims fast daily, from before dawn to sunset. We abstain from food, drink, and yes, even water. The fast begins with the pre-dawn meal, called suhoor, which is what you heard Dina and I talk about. She's one of the producers on the take. And then at sunset, it's time for iftar, when we break our fast. Ramadan is a month when people usually come together with family, friends, and neighbors every day to pray and share food in public spaces. A lot of people have had to forego community gatherings and religious celebrations already this year, thanks to the global pandemic. And for 1.8 billion Muslims around the world, Ramadan's community activities are also curtailed. So today's episode will sound a little different. I'm turning the mic on myself and Dina, who, like me, is fasting. So I wanted to know how people were celebrating a month that's typically very heavy on social gatherings and has emphasis on community, but in quarantine. And as we wrap up the second week of Ramadan, I reached out to a few people to help paint a picture for us. We've got our computer set up on the table, my mom, my husband, my three-year-old, and then like the computer as like the other seat at our table. That's Lauren Schreiber. She's the executive director of Center DC, a community space for Muslims in the Washington DC area. She said usually during Ramadan, she and her husband rarely eat at home. They're almost always out joining people in the community to eat and pray together. It's one of the elements she misses the most. It really is such a wonderful time of the year to be able to see how the religion ties us together and how our faith really connects us throughout cultures, across languages. So I feel like that's kind of one of the pieces that, I'm, that I really look forward to about Ramadan and also one of the things that I'm missing the most right now. They've had to turn virtual encouraging people to bring their own plates of food at sunset to their computer screens. And so far, we've just kind of been hanging out and like shooting the breeze with each other, talking about what people are going to eat, how their day went. And then we have a member of our community called Yadan um, live. So then we'll break fast together on screen with like lots and lots of little mini square faces of people who are eating and and enjoying their meal together. It's a lot different from previous years, but Lauren says that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think people are generally experiencing Ramadan just in a different way. I think there's definitely people who are missing 
the norm, the, the social aspects of Ramadan, the food sharing aspects of Ramadan. But one of the other big pieces of Ramadan that, that I think is like the silver lining of this whole thing is that people are really getting a chance to spend time with God. We talked to a few other people who said this year is different. It's hard. Nasima Abera is with her family in Arizona. What I miss about the regular Ramadan is that we got to merge the personal spiritual experience with the communal. And I think that's so important. It's very difficult to fast and pray more without that social support and without plugging in what we're doing on an individual level to the rest of the world. And for Omar Nassimi in Virginia, it's the 3 a.m. diner runs that he misses. When it comes to the weekend, everybody's just up. Like, no one goes to sleep. And then people go out and they'll have Sahur, like, at IHOP or, like, at Denny's or somewhere. And there's a crowd of, like, 30 people. But he said, even in a crowd of 30, Ramadan has a special feeling to it. When I think of Ramadan, the kind of emotion that comes out is one of deep serenity and peace amidst a bunch of people, which is like this constant contradiction, right? Like, how could you find peace amongst crowds of hundreds or even thousands of people? Muhammad is a doctor working in London. And for him, the pandemic impact was about as direct as it gets. So Ramadan started and I was far away from home. And it's been a bit interesting because I'm fasting on my own, breaking my fast on my own, paired with the fact that I got COVID three days before Ramadan started. So I was quite sick. But luckily, I never needed to not fast during that time. The thing I missed most about Ramadan was the general iftar with family and the community, going to the mosque as well for coming the iftar. Currently, what I do look forward to is when I get home, Zooming with family, doing a Zoom Quran circle, and then just the food at the end of the day, which is quite nice. Edel Youssef is in California. Ramadan is a pulse check for the community. Who got married this year? Who had kids? Who has moved back? Whose iman has wavered? It's not only a time for a spiritual check-in, but a time for a community check-in. And more importantly, it's a time for uh, communal spiritual elevation. And this is Imam Khalid Latif. He runs the Islamic Center at New York University in Manhattan. And he's a chaplain there. In New York City, where, where I'm at, we're um, at the epicenter of the coronavirus. Mosques have been closed. There hasn't been a Jummah prayer uh, that I know of in New York for quite some time. Many people are now approaching the month in a mode of social distancing that renders uh, solitude more than uh, communal engagement. Imam Khalid said the disruption to the lives of his students has been huge. The student is trying to come to terms with how do I adapt in this atmosphere? And then all the other challenges being in the backdrop of a pandemic, family members who have lost jobs, people getting sick, people passing away. We've had in our community upwards of 70 plus people who have either lost a loved one to corona or who have passed themselves. He said it's been hard. But he also said 
This is the time of year that reminds him of moments he appreciates, moments that take him back to when he was younger. You know, my family is from Kashmir, and my parents immigrated in the 70s to the, to the States. And growing up, when I wasn't fasting because of my age, I'd always see my parents breaking their fast on dates and even throughout the year eating a lot of dates. And uh, they look like cockroaches to me. They and do. Yeah, right? <laughs> and my dad would be throwing them in like cornflakes and eating them and trying <laughs> me to get me to eat them. And then when I started to fast, I went through the course of a day not eating or drinking. And I don't remember being hungry necessarily because I don't think Ramadan is about empty stomachs. I think it's about full hearts. And what I do remember though, even now, is not hunger or thirst, but I remember how distinctly good that date tasted. Uh, or how refreshing that water was that I drank at that moment. You know, Malika, he talks about how refreshing water was at that moment when mm -hmm. he broke his fast and drank it. And I have to ask, <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, you're fasting mm -hmm. and your schedule really hasn't shifted as much. Yeah. <laughs> you're still doing interviews, which requires a lot of talking. Indeed. And it can be hard <laughs> when you can't have water. So how has that been for you? You know, Dina, as he was describing how good water tastes at sunset when you can finally break your fast, I could almost taste it. And I couldn't wait <laughs> until that moment. You don't yeah. appreciate how good water is until you stop yourself from having it. But fasting, while it may seem to be the most important aspect of Ramadan, as you know, it's actually a small mm -hmm. part. This is a month that is tethered to many things. And that's mm -hmm. something Khalid speaks to. The fundamental purpose of it is going to be varied from person to person. But within the Quranic framework, because so much of Ramadan is attached to Quran, it's attached to fasting, it's attached to prayer. And these things in the Quran get attached to uh, a concept that is called taqwa, which essentially in very archaic ways can get translated as piety or God consciousness. But if we were to look at it in terms of more contemporary jargon, you could say, you know, mindfulness, you're very present and aware of what it is that you have happening. So the way that I like to look at it, for example, is the way my stomach tells me when it's hungry or my throat tells me when it's thirsty. Taqwa, that kind of consciousness, gives me an awareness of the surroundings that I find myself situated in. The elements that Imam Khalid talked about are recurring themes throughout the month. But there's one part of Ramadan that's the most important, and it happens in the last 10 nights. One of the rituals is a period of seclusion that's called itikaf, uh, where the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, would spend the last 10 days of Ramadan in solitude uh, in the mosque. Um, and there was other people in the mosque, so it wasn't about necessarily being away from people, but about being away from distractions. And the idea was to not escape from reality, but to now engage in an outlet 
that enabled an enhancement of one's understanding of the reality that they would eventually return to. The time of I'tikaf, he said, is spent between the worshiper and God. It's also what Lauren said. She's the community leader from D.C. we met earlier. She said quarantine is allowing her to experience that kind of spiritual connection throughout the entire month. In some ways, like what we're doing now is like Iktikaf. It's like doing that retreat every single night. You're alone with yourself. You're alone with uh, like your God consciousness. You're able to do inventory of your self-discipline, how your day went. You're able to connect in prayer sometimes in a, a deeper, more private, more personal way. And I think that's a really special bonus of the current situation that we're in. So, Dina, this year, many of us are attempting to find that peace in our own homes and also possibly celebrating Eid in our own homes, too. Now, for those who don't know, it's this huge celebration at the end of Ramadan where everyone comes together for a big meal and their gift exchanges for the kids. It's a good time. Yeah, I know. Everyone at the moment is likely focused on Ramadan, but personally, I keep thinking of Eid because this is right around the time that I'd start my Eid shopping. And my family, like everyone else, I'm sure, we don't spend it at home. You know, we typically bake hundreds of cookies that we hand out Eid morning. And so that tradition is not going to be carried out this year. And so I'm just curious, what are people doing? How are they going to be celebrating Eid this year? You know, Lauren had a pretty good idea of what to do to celebrate the end of the month. I keep thinking about all of the, like, DJs that are doing, like, Instagram parties. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we need to find we need to find a really dope Muslim DJ to be like the Eid, <laughs> the Eid party on Instagram. I love this. <laughs> this is a good idea. So then everyone can still pull up to Instagram or Twitter yes. in their fancy Eid best. Yes. And feel like they're celebrating like they would have if they were outside their homes. This is all I got so far, but I feel like there needs to be a more <laughs> robust answer. <laughs> I think it's a good start. So, Dina, before we finalize our Eid plans, we have two weeks left of Ramadan. I know you're at home with your parents. What's that like? Yeah, I mean, I've been able to retain a lot of the same traditions because I came down to be home with my family and be able to spend Ramadan here and break my fast with everyone. But it's kind of a little different in our household. And so I sat down with my dad in his usual spot on the couch post of thought. <laughs> and here's what he said. You're sipping on your sous right now. Yeah, I love my sous. Uh, that's my Ramadan thing, sous. Ramadan without sous is not Ramadan. <laughs> so a few minutes, inshallah, we will pray. The sous that he's talking about here is this licorice root drink that he has to have every day after iftar. I honestly don't know how he drinks it. It is very bitter. <laughs> So he told me he'd give me a few minutes on the mic because he needed to go pray Isha soon, which is the last prayer of our five daily prayers. How was iftar, Leon? What did you eat for iftar? Well, we had uh, started with a water and date and then soup, mixed vegetables with noodles, lemon. And then we had uh, kibbeh and uh, plain yogurt with cucumbers. Very delicious. 
That's the snack. That's the basic. <laughs> then. <laughs> that's the appetizer. <laughs> that's the appetizer. <laughs> I got to say, Dina, I could listen to your dad talk about food all day. <laughs> I know. I was surprised that he just kept going. You know, I thought, okay, he's not going to go into details. And then he tells you... Lamb meat cooked really very tender. Lovely. And then he tells you we have fatouche, but... In addition to describing the meals, he's also telling you how much he eats of things. A small pita bread, parsley, a little bit of rice. I don't want too much rice. And then fatouche. Then he just keeps going. (laughs) You know, Malika, while we have our same traditions, some of which are setting up lights and decorations for Ramadan. All these things makes you feel you are in Ramadan. When people pass by, they see the lights beautiful lights. They know there's something in this house. It's not a Christmas time. So what is it? So people, you know, they see Ramadan, Mubarak. But really, one of the main differences is trying to navigate the nightly prayers that are because the way it happens typically is he goes every night to the mosque and follows the imam. But this year, because of the pandemic and mosque doors being closed, he's having to do a lot of it himself. But my dad is blind. Mm. For us, for Tarawir, because we always went to the masjid and now we have to, to lead and do it ourselves. Really, in a way, it's, it's good. It makes us feel more responsible and it makes us focus more on the prayer. So you have to make the best of it. Even if you are by yourself, you still have to make the best of, of life, of time, of that situation. You have to bring Ramadan, invite him to your house and you just stay in the mood. Stay with Ramadan. Don't let anybody take it away from you. Be humble. Be kind during the day with people. Don't argue with people. Don't fight with people. Somebody make you mad, just say, Allahumma nisa'im. What does that mean? Allahumma nisa'im means, oh God, I am fasting. That means help me not to argue with this ignorant person (laughs) (laughs) or this idiot or this loser, for God's sake. Help me, God. (laughs) Because even in Ramadan, we are tested. (laughs) Yes, we are. This is a hard topic for me to bring up with my dad because I really wanted to understand how he was feeling without making him feel like he's inadequate because of his impaired vision and not being able to read a lot of the Quranic verses in the prayers. Yeah, it's a little uh, setback, but you have to make it up with with other ways. You must have a a strong spirit. Never uh, feel uh, weak just because that person can hear or see the internet and you can't. No, it's all in the heart. You can create your own and you can make your own and still lead. Uh, rely on, on hearing and memorize some things by hearing things. You just have to spend more efforts and more concentration by focusing on hearing than seeing. When you think of Ramadan, what comes to your mind? Like, what do you think of? What, what's the first things that come to your, to your mind? My best friend. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ramadan is really my best friend uh, for many years, you know. And when he leaves, <clears throat> it's like your best friend has left. You don't know if you're going to see that friend again. 
he just like somebody a gun like through the ocean you don't know if that friend know how to swim strong wave gonna take him down drown you just don't know if he's gonna come back you don't know and what I mean by him coming back we don't know if we're gonna be here for this friend when he's back it's all in God's hands every day is, is, is a beautiful day I finished my shoes. <laughs> and that's The Take. We're working on another episode that we wanted to tell you about before we go. We're talking to some of our Al Jazeera colleagues around the globe about the books they're turning to during the pandemic. And we want to hear the same from you. What are you reading for comfort and for inspiration in uncertain times? What writers and poets are you pulling off the shelf? Tell us in a voice memo and email it to ajthetake at gmail.com so we can share a listener reading list in the episode. This episode was produced by Dina Kisfe, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal, with Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and Priyanka Tilvey. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Alex Roldan is the show's sound designer and also composed our theme. Stacey Samuel is the show's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back 